Amen. So looking forward to continuing to uh, go through 1 Corinthians together. Of course, we've been preaching through this book verse by verse throughout this year. And uh, you can probably guess by now we're not going to finish it by year's end, uh, but we will finish it. Amen. Uh, we're going to stick with it till we are done. Our theme for the year is what? You can see it on the, uh, the, the banners there. Our theme is... Church matters, and if church matters, it matters how we church, amen? You know, coming off this season of Thanksgiving and into this season of being thankful for Jesus, you know what? I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for what the Lord Jesus has provided for his people in this age, and I'm thankful for this church. You know what? I'm thankful God's not done with the church. I'm thankful that God's still present here, amen? That, that where two or three are gathered together in his name, anybody here in the name of Jesus this morning? I'd count at least three. Maybe it was only three. Uh, but uh, hey, that's all we need, amen? And uh, two or three are gathered in his name. What does the Bible say? That there he is in the midst, that God is still present here, that God still shows his power here, and that this is his body and praise God, he's still using his body to accomplish his business. So for the last several weeks, we've been in a study of spiritual gifts and how important it is that we understand the way that the Spirit of God gifts his church. Spiritual gifts are an essential aspect of God's grace that allows the church to operate in a healthy and effective manner. If we don't get this right, if we don't get spiritual gifts right, then ultimately we don't get church right. And what we find is that the church at Corinth was pretty messed up. And so messed up, in fact, that in the area of spiritual gifts, that by the time we get to chapter 14, Paul makes the comment that, that it would maybe be better if unbelievers didn't go to church there because unbelievers would think they were all nuts by the way they were misusing their spiritual gifts. And so, by way of review, our study of 1 Corinthians 12 has led us from an understanding of spiritual gifts to last week we began to unpack our, our own spiritual gifts individually, and today God is going to be giving us some instruction on how to use our spiritual gifts. So last week it was personal, and we looked at how has God gifted you. Because if you're a born-again believer, God has gifted you. Amen? Every believer is gifted by the Spirit of God. So last week it was very personal. How has God gifted you? This week it's going to be very practical, understanding how God wants each of us to use those gifts he has given. So we're actually going to finish the chapter this morning in our study. But uh, to get us started, let's reread what Brother Frank read at the beginning, beginning in verse 12. Paul wrote this, For as the body is one, and hath many members, or many parts, and all of the members are parts of that one body, being many, or one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if... The whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. 
And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. So as we consider this morning spiritual gifts and how God desires for us to use our spiritual gifts, we have to start this morning by understanding the needed identity. The needed identity. So in his grace, God gifts us to be an impactful part of the body of Christ. As we look at the scriptures, what, are we, what we're going to find is that spiritual gifts exist in the context of the body. Last week we saw spiritual gifts were associated with God's grace. This week we see that spiritual gifts are almost always associated with the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 we see it again. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts a differing according to the grace that is given to us. And so gifts are given in the context of what? In the context of the church body. Ephesians chapter 4, we see the same thing. Verse 11 gives us some of the gifts, the offices that God gifts the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For what purpose? Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Now, what is the body of Christ? It is the what? It is the church. Come on. Help me out this morning. It is the Church, very good. So, the spiritual gifts that God has given us, make it personal. The spiritual gifts that God has given me are not primarily for me as an individual, nor are they primarily for the community around us. No, the spiritual gifts that God has given us are primarily for the church, the body. Each Christian is essential to the body. Isn't that what we see here? You can't say, well, because I'm not this part or I'm not that part, that I'm not really important. No. Each part, each member, each Christian is essential to the body. Each is important. Each has its role to fulfill. Feet are important. Amen? And the role they play are important. Amen? But so are hands. Hands are important, amen? And they also have a role to play. Eyes are important, amen? And they have a role to play. But what if you could see it but not grab it? Well, that would be problematic. I mean, even like the tongue is important. Doesn't look pretty, but it's important, amen? And so every member, every part is essential to the body. Christian... You are important to the church. You are. God has gifted you to be a necessary part of a local church. Now, let's make it practical. If God has gifted you to be a necessary part of a local church, you should be in church. You should be in a local church. You know what I don't find in the New Testament? I don't find that God calls Christians to be Lone Ranger Christians. Sometimes people think the Apostle Paul was some Lone Ranger Christian just out in the wilds converting the heathen. But if you actually read the Bible, do you know what you find? That Paul was sent out from the local church at Antioch. 
that Paul went around planting local churches. And when Paul was done planting local churches, do you know where he went? He went back to his local church at Antioch and gave a report about all that God had done. So even the ministry of the Apostle Paul was centered in and centered on what? On local New Testament churches. So if you, Christian, are gifted by God to be a necessary part of a local church, you should be in a local church. You are not the exception. There should be a local church that you are in that you find identity being a part of. And I'm going to tell you, if not here, then somewhere. I'm under no delusion to think that, that Harvest is the only church people can go to. No, there are other churches out there. Amen. And God leads people different places. But what I am saying is, God wants to lead you somewhere, and God wants to plant you somewhere, and God wants to use you somewhere, and so you need to be there. You need to be in a local church. You are important. But, did you notice here what we read? While every part is important, the emphasis isn't necessarily on the individual Christian. The emphasis, rather, is on the unified body. Now, let me pause here because we live in a culture that emphasizes the individual to a fault. It's your preferences, it's your opinions, it's your felt needs, it's your happiness, it's your this, it's your that. And if it's not about you, then you can move somewhere where it is about you. We live in a culture that emphasizes the individual to a fault. But what I find here when I read the Bible is that God is calling us as Christians to community. And as Christians, that community is the local church. The parts are essential to the body. But, okay, not to be gross, the parts aren't really effective outside of the body. You ever had something surgically removed? Guess what? It don't work no more. It ain't doing real well. You see, the parts are great. They're designed to work in the whole. But when the parts are severed from the body, guess what? That's not good for the part. Church, when God saves us, He intentionally places us into the body. Intentionally. He is the master architect who makes no mistakes. Bodies may have individual parts, but bodies have one identity. Okay? You don't say, oh, look, there's hand. You see somebody from the back? Oh, look, there's back of head. Oh, look, there's beard. Oh, look. No. Different parts but one identity. It's Alan. It's Amy. It's Frank. It's Bill. One identity. We as a church are many parts, but one identity. And by the way, that one shared identity that we have is not Alan, Amy, Bill, or Frank. It's Jesus. 
When the world looks at us, I've said it every sermon in this series, it's not about which of our spiritual gifts are best. It's about us coming together to do what? To show the world that Jesus is best. And the bodies, that, 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 that the local church, it's made up of many individual parts, but we come together for one identity. So you know what that means for using our spiritual gifts? That means in order for me to adequately and appropriately use the spiritual gifts that I have been given, that I have to shift in my thinking from me to we. Because they are meant to be used in the context of the body. Because the body works best when the individual parts come together in the whole. You can think about it this way. When one part demands too much attention, that's typically not a good thing, is it? If you have arthritis, you know that. If you have a bad knee or bad back, you know that. If, if you have, how many of you have allergies? I get those allergy eyes like all the time, and they seem to be only getting worse these days. Like my kids, my kids did awesome yesterday. They went outside and took care of the leaves. Isn't that awesome? But they were all covered in that fall goodness, and they came inside and sat down, and I was like <laughs> snotting and sniffing and rubbing my eyes. And, and I mean, when, when body parts demand attention, that's typically not a good thing. Because bodies work best when all of the parts come and surrender themselves to one mission, one movement, one identity. And our shared identity is Christ. Think about this one last illustration before we move to the next point. Rivers are powerful. Why are rivers powerful? Because many individual droplets of water lose their identity in cooperation under the force of gravity. And so gravity pulls that water and rivers become a powerful force. Why do churches become a powerful, impactful force in communities and in the lives of their members? Because the individual members, what? We lose our identity in cooperation under the power and direction of Christ. Many members, one body. And so we see the needed identity. But that's not all Paul gives us in this section. Look at verse 21. We'll read down through verse 26. He says, Now, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, how much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part that which lacked. That there should be no schism or, or break or fracture in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 27 says, Now are ye the body of Christ and members in particular. So we see first the needed identity that, that, that we ought to have. It's not about me, it's about we, and it's about him, amen? And so our shared identity in Christ, our shared identity at being a part of the local church, his body. But along with 
the needed identity, we see here secondly that there's also a needed intimacy. That we need each other. That we need each other in our lives. The, the eye can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. Uh, nor the ears to the hands, I have no need of you. We need each other. And what we find here is we find the parts of the body have a fellowship, a working cooperation together. And so here, even within the local church then, fellowship is an integral part of the church experience. Now, sometimes we have, we have uh, really dumbed and watered down fellowship to something that it isn't. We often consider fellowship a handshake and a how do you do. Fellowship is more than that. The other way we uh, have fellowship is when we eat together, right? And so we call those fellowships, right? But fellowship is more than just gathering around uh, the apple pie, all right? It's more than just gathering around the turkey and the ham and the potatoes at Christmas time. Fellowship is more than a handshake. Fellowship is more than a meal in the gym. Fellowship, it means a shared participation, an open communion, a shared life. We see that with the early church. They shared everything. Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 34 says this, neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And so we see the early church was what? They were connected and they cared for one another and they shared life with one another and helped one another on a very intimate, open, honest level. Now, this happens because we not only share a mission from Christ, but we are fellow members in Christ. Paul said in verse 25 that the members should have the same care one for another. Paul says in Romans 12, in verse number 5, at the end of that verse, he says that we are every one members one of another. We are members one of another. That means we're connected. We can't escape one another. Therefore, we, have, we will have a natural involvement with one another, and it ought to lead to a natural investment in one another. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we see a, another thought along these lines that we're taught to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're also in verse... Uh, Galatians 1 and 2 there. So what do we see in those verses? We see that we share life. What did we see in 1 Corinthians 12? We see that we share joy, that we share pain, that we share abundance, that we serve humbly, that we support sacrificially. Why? That there be no rift in the body. You know what that calls for? That calls for an awareness of one another. That calls for an affection towards one another. That calls also for an accountability to one another. All of this, awareness, affection, and accountability, 
demands an honest intimacy exists within the body. What is intimacy? Intimacy then is an openness to others. It is an openness to honesty with others. You know, when somebody asks how we're doing, we're not always blessed and highly favored, are we? I mean, we are, but we don't always feel that way. But you know, we show up, we, we stop the arguments in the car, and, and we put on the church smile, and we walk in, and we shake hands, and we high five, and we fist bump, and it's the best thing ever. And then we go home, and we struggle under the burdens of life. You know, God calls us as a body to an openness with one another. Now, there's a balance there, because you also don't want to be every week, oh, life's so hard. Miller's didn't have the cereal I wanted, and oh, it ruined my week. And you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, I read on Fox News. Oh, I read on Fox News that such and such happened. And oh, what are we ever going to do? And, and oh, life is so hard. And, and oh, I woke up five minutes before my alarm. Don't you just hate when that happens? I don't know why God puts me through these trials. He knows how strong I am. I just need your help. You don't want to be that guy, right? But you also don't want to be the guy that puts on the mask. You know, for us to use our spiritual gifts the way we need to, there needs to be an openness to honesty with one another. Intimacy is an openness to others. It's openness to honesty with others. It's an openness to sacrificially helping others. That's hard to do, isn't it? To helping others, especially when, when times are tight. You know, sometimes it's easy for us and, uh, to live with what, what, what's called a scarcity mindset. That we're always worried about not having enough, not having enough, not having enough, not having enough. And so we just hold and hold and hold and hold. You know, sometimes God lays on our heart to give, to give, to give. And you know what we need to do when God lays on our heart to give? Do you know what we need to do? We need to give. When God lays on our heart to, to make that meal, what do we need to do? Make that meal. When God lays on our heart that we need to provide such and such, what do we need to do? We need to provide such and such. It's easy sometimes to live with a scarcity mindset, but when we live with that and we, we reject God's call for us to live uh, sacrificially helping others, do you know what we're doing? We're in essence saying, God, I don't trust you for my daily bread. And intimacy, intimacy is openness. It's openness to honesty with others. Openness to sacrificially helping others. Now let me give you one more. It's an openness to being humbly helped by others. That's a harder one yet for a lot of us. Because we don't ever want to give the indication that we need help. And we don't ever want to receive help. And yet when God lays it on somebody else's heart to be a help and to be a blessing, do you know what we need to do? We need to humble ourselves, open ourselves up, and receive that help. 
You know, if our spiritual gifts are going to function as they are. Sometimes we think spiritual gifts are just up here preaching or over there playing or singing or doing. Or You know what? That most of the spiritual gifts we see in Scripture aren't, aren't done in a public sense. They are done in a private sense among the members of the body. It's not necessarily always being involved in a church program. It is being connected with the church family. And coming alongside and helping one another and being helped by one another, caring for one another. And openness to honesty with others and openness to sacrificially helping others and openness to humbly being helped by others. If we're going to use our spiritual gifts as we ought, we cannot live in isolation or shut one another out. As Paul said in Romans 14 and verse number 7, that none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Think about it this way. No part of the body is capable of adequately caring for itself. How many of you have ever hit a deer? Look at all them hands, right? I have not. Yeah. I'll bring the photo next week, right? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But, uh, you know, there's a saying out there, what? It is the deer in the headlights. So, so the deer, the deer sees it's a coming. But how many of us realize, how many of us realize that it's not just the deer's eyes that have the problem? That it's the whole deer that's about to have a real big problem. Think about the body. If your hand aches, your, your hand, as, as wonderful as our hands are, your hand cannot massage or care for itself. What does it need? It needs the other hand. You know, I've said before, the nose can't even pick itself. Amen. No part of our body is capable of adequately caring for itself. And so if we're going to use our spiritual gifts as we ought, there is a needed identity. You should be in church. Amen? Amen. But more than that, you should be deeply, intimately involved in church. Because there's not just a needed identity, but if our spiritual gifts are going to operate as they ought, there needs to be a needed intimacy as well. You with me this morning? Say amen. amen. So we see the needed identity. You should be in church. You should have a local church that God has identified you with and be a part of it. But we also see a needed intimacy. We need to be intimately, deeply involved in church with one another, loving one another, helping one another. But I want you to see how Paul kind of rounds this section out. We'll go back to verse 27. The Bible says this. Now are ye the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles and second prophets, thirdly teachers. After that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He said, but covet earnestly, or you are coveting earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. We're going to pause there for now, Liz. So we find the needed identity. We see the needed intimacy. But finally, church, what we have to understand in regards to our spiritual gifts and how we use them, 
is the needed impact. The needed impact. Because we want to make a difference, amen? That's what spiritual gifts are designed to do. They're designed to make a difference. So think about the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was a blessed church. They were blessed immensely with spiritual gifts. If you go back to chapter 1, Paul gives this summary of this church. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse number 4. Paul said, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you are enriched by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge, those are gifts. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Look at verse number 7. So that she come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, you are one of the most gifted churches that I have ever seen. And yet the church at Corinth was not being effective in the use of their spiritual gifts. The church at Corinth, they were gifted, but boy, they were messed up. Why was that? There was competition between the gifts. There was covetousness over the gifts. Verse number one, when, verse number 31, sorry, of our chapter, chapter 12, when Paul says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, he's making a statement here that they are coveting earnestly the best gifts, that this is what they're doing. There's a competition there. There's a covetousness there. There's a struggle taking place over the gifts. Now, church, gifts are great. But spiritual gifts alone are not the strength of the church's impact. And that's important for us to understand. Because church, I believe that we are a gifted church. But church, gifts alone are not enough. Praise the Lord, we are a goal-oriented church. We want to build the body of Christ and we want to beautify Jesus before the world. Amen? We are a goal-oriented church, but goals alone are not, a church, are not enough. We are a giving church, but generosity alone is not enough. Look at verse 31 again. But covet earnestly, they are coveting the best gifts. Paul says, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Paul said, I'm going to show you a better way to do this. Look at chapter 13. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not what, church? Have not charity. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity... Paul said, what? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, what did he say, church? It profiteth me nothing. You see, the needed impact that God desires for his people to have, hear me, comes not through impressing others with our lives, but in impacting them with our love. And it is that simple. As Christians and as a church, the measure of our love will be the measure of our impact. 
I love the command of Jesus in John 13, beginning in verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. What was that commandment, church? That we what? That we love one another. How are we to love one another, church? As I have loved you. That you also love one another. Look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Hey, do you want to make a difference in the world around you? Well, boy, I hope you have the best singers and best preachers and best teachers and most generous people and most serving people. I hope you have the most handy handy men and, and the most smiley greeters and you have all the gifts and then you'll make an impact. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if we what? If we love, have love one to another. In other words, church, if we want to be impactful in one another's lives, and if we want to be impactful in the community around us, you know what we need to do? We need to love like Jesus does. And if we love like he does, the rest will take care of itself. How many of us know sometimes things get a little off kilter in life? Things get a little off kilter in my own heart. Things get a little off kilter in the body sometimes. And, and sometimes things get a little out of whack. Well, we have an example of that in Scripture. Revelation chapter 2 points us to a church, the church at Ephesus. And Jesus said of this church, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how you can't bear them which are evil, and you've tried them which say they're apostles and have not and have found them to be liars. And you've borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake, has labored and not fainted. Boy, that's a church I want to be a part of. Amen? We're working and doing and we're, we're understanding and we have discernment and we're, we are being faithful in trials. Boy, that sounds like a good church, doesn't it? But Jesus said in verse number four, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast left thy first love. Jesus said in verse number 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Jesus didn't tell him to work harder. Jesus didn't tell him to try more. Jesus didn't tell him to, to do all of those other things. What did Jesus say? Get back to doing what? To loving. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. He said, Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick out of its place except thou Repent. You know what that teaches? It teaches if we love like we should, again, the rest will take care of itself. Church, I want you to think this morning. Think of somebody that you're thankful for in your life. Maybe it's somebody recently. Maybe it's somebody many years past. Somebody who made a positive impact on you for the cause of Christ. Think of that person. You know, when I think of those people that have made the biggest impact on my life, you know who it wasn't? It wasn't the loudest people in the room. Oh, the loudest people, we, we remember them and they get a lot of attention because they're loud, right? But when I think about the people who have deeply and personally impacted me, it's not the loudest people. When I think about the people who've most deeply impacted me for Christ, it's not necessarily the loudest people and it's not necessarily those who lead. But when I think of those people who have most deeply impacted my life, for the cause of the gospel. It was people who loved. People who loved when I was not very lovely. People who encouraged when I needed encouragement. People who 
supported when I was weak, and picked me up when I was down. So often we think, boy, if I'm going to make an impact, I, 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 I need, to, need to be loud somewhere. I need to lead somewhere. I, I need to have this big, grandiose, public gift. But the reality is we don't need grandiose, great public gifts. We simply need great love. Church, the warning that we see in Scripture this morning is this. Gifts are great. And I'm glad God gifts His people to do His work. Amen? But the warning is this. The warning is that it is possible to be so in love with spiritual gifts, with spiritual goals, with spiritual growth, with goodness in general. It's so possible to be so in love with gifts that we fail to love through them. But the thing about the Christian life is this. The Christian life must be lived in Christ-like love or really it ceases to be the Christian life. So let's bring it home. Using our spiritual gifts. If you're going to use your spiritual gifts, you need to find your identity in Christ and you need to have some form of identity with His body. I'm going to tell you, there's a new members class starting next week. Maybe the Lord would have you become a member here at Harvest. Maybe the Lord wants you to know more about Harvest. Be a part of it. Be a part of it. You don't have to be a member here to be a part. But what I am saying is, have a church that you're a part of. If not here, then somewhere. Find your identity in Christ and in His body. But when you do it, do it in love. Find intimacy with Christ and his body. Some of us, we're here, but we're not here. We sit in a pew, but we are as, about as disengaged as we could possibly be. We have no idea what's going on in the lives of people around us. We have no idea what's going on in, in, in the church body. We have no idea the ministries and the opportunities and, and those that are hurting and those that need help. We, we, we are here, but we are not here. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to use your spiritual gifts like you should, you're going to need to find intimacy with Christ and His body and openness and fellowship. But when we do it, church, do it in love. Understand your gifts, but do it in love. Unwrap your gifts, but do it in love. Use your gifts, but do it in love. Why all of this emphasis? Just pause this morning as we prepare for the invitation and remember what God's love did for you. Remember where God's love found you. Remember how God's love saved you. Remember how he cleansed you. Remember how in his grace and love he's equipped you. Remember all that God in his love has done for you. And realize this morning that God wants to use you now as an instrument of His love to impact others. First John 4, beginning in verse 10, John wrote this. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Read verse 11 in unison with me. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love 
one another. It was God's love that made a difference for you. It's God's love that's still making a difference in you. And I'm going to tell you, if we'll let him, it will be God's love that makes a difference through us as we use our gifts for his glory. Standing together this morning, heads bowed and eyes closed. Coming to a time of invitation, what this simply is, is this is an opportunity for each of us to respond to God as he's spoken to us. You know, maybe this morning God has spoken to you about your relationship with the church in some capacity. Hey, find a place here at the altar, there in your pew, and, and, and do business with God this morning. Maybe God is speaking to your heart this morning about, about your love for Him and your love for others. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put His hand on something else entirely. But this is your opportunity to respond to God as He has spoken. Father, 